Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. This is Brandon Pemberton, a.k.a. Sports Trap and Brand, a.k.a. The Maestro, The Playbook, with my super co-host, Ant Green, and this is Sports Trap Radio tonight on NGSCSports.com, via Talk Show, via the War Room Sports Podcast Network. Got a big-time show for y'all tonight. Um, you know, the NCAA tournament, obviously, you know, started last week, and the first two rounds are, you know, past. We got the Sweet 16 coming up on Thursday, so me and Green, we're going to preview the Sweet 16. We're going to preview the games give our predictions on the winners of those games. Um, Monet Davis. Monet Davis was making a round through ESPN yesterday, and she was putting in a position where though she had to address uh, the baseball player from Bloomsburg University, which is a college out here um, in Pennsylvania, a couple hours away from Philadelphia. He had tweeted out on Twitter, called her a slut because, Disney was making a movie about her story. So Monet Davis was asked about, um, you know, him calling her a slut and all that kind of stuff. And she had took the high road, um, you know, saying that, you know, people make mistakes and he should be forgiven. The fact of the matter is, this ain't the first time that she's been attacked. She's a 13-year-old kid. She's a, a black kid, an African-American kid. But this isn't the first time a Caucasian person has attacked her for just being a kid who's good at playing sports and her getting attention that she didn't ask for, but ESPN is the one that puts on the Low League World Series every year. But she's been attacked by not only this guy that was on the baseball team at Bloomsburg, but plenty of other people and the people that's been attacking her and slandering her and calling her a nappy head nigger and, you know, saying she's going to be a pregnant little black hoe and stuff like that have been white people. So we're going to talk about that as well. Also, Eagles owner Jeff Lurie had addressed the, the media out in Arizona at the um, owners' meetings. He had finally addressed the media and – Philadelphia reporters, beat reporters, actually did a good job for once, you know, trying to get some information on him about what happened during this offseason with, with um, Howie Roseman and Tom Gamble and Chip Kelly taking over. So, you know, he had talked about what happened. He said, a, you know, a few things, and, you know, I got those quotes up on my laptop, and me and I are going to address that as well before we end the show, but Ant Green is here, live on Sports Trap Radio. Ant, what's going on? Man, nothing, man. It's, it it seems like every every week it's, it's it's something new, 
it's a, it's another thing going on. And um, for all the listeners out there, we, you know, we are from Philadelphia, um, born and raised, and lived our entire and lived our entire lives in Philadelphia. You know, now you know me. Of course, I played overseas and went to school different places, but. I, I am a, a Philadelphia kid through and through, and and so are you. And it's um for the first time I don't I, I think in my life that Philadelphia has it seems to be like a um a place where the media is spending a lot of its attention lately. You know, you talk about I mean, and we go back a couple of years, but you you talk about with Sam Hinkin kind of people having an opinion on it, whether good or bad, about the Sixers. Chip Kelly and, um, you know, and the Eagles. And then you got a couple years ago from 08 to about 2011, the Phillies being the best, you know, team and one of the best teams in baseball. So this this little area has been um, like a, a media place for – like controversy or topics, and um, you you know you talked about the Monet Davis you know situation and her having nothing really to do with the with the um the attention she's received. I mean, out outside of her be outside of her, you know, being a, a, a African American you know female, you know that, that the thing about it is, if it was anybody else, it probably wouldn't be such a big story. And people should, I mean, people should understand that once once you get, you start to get that attention, you either handle it one or two ways. You know, you, you, you either embrace it and show people why you're getting their attention or you downplay it and at some people, and at some point give people a reason to say that you didn't deserve it. And, and Monet Davis has done everything that she could possibly do to continue to change, you know, people's opinions of anything they would have had to say negative about her. So, you know, at the at the beginning of the show, I was just, you know, we we talking about that, and I'm just I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, when people got to understand, there is still a ways to go we have in race relations, and if you don't see that, then it's only a it's only a microcosm of how far we got to go, you know. And before and before we, you know, get into the show, um, for the people that are not aware of this, um, Jimmy Rollins, um, you know, did an interview out in Cali. You know, he's he's out there now with the Dodgers. And, um, you know, he said some things about Philadelphia and the fact that, you know, you're, we typically are a blue-collar town and, you know, for the most part, we like guys that work hard, and you know we don't accept super, we don't accept stars, and you know it, it's it, it's one of those things where you just gotta look you gotta look at things and you gotta see the people that are, are representing that part of Philly, because what what people outside of here don't understand is that a lot of the Philadelphia fans they come from South Jersey. Because it's you know Jersey is right there where the stadium is where the baseball field where the Sixers play at it's all right it's all right there so that's that is not a a true definition of what all Philadelphia fans 
are. Because for the most part, Philadelphia fans just want to see somebody that wins. We really don't care. A lot of us really don't care how you do it. It's as long as you do it. And it's sad because when you look at a guy like Jimmy Rollins, who has been, like, to me, one of the top five sports figures in this city in the last 15 to 20 years. And I'm talking about with the way he's played, and he's he's helped lead us to a a World Series championship. And and that's something that we and that's something that we dying for. But yet and still, you get a guy like Chase Utley who is like is is, is deemed a blue collar worker. But it's like, oh okay, but he can be a blue collar worker. But he spent a lot of time not even playing the sport. And how could you be considered a blue collar person if you're not actually working? And don't get me wrong. I, I, I like Chase Utley. I enjoy watching him play, but it is it is unfair for um, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard to seem to get all of the blame, especially from the media outlets in the Philadelphia area. And it's and and, and the thing about it is in this Philadelphia area, and I know and, and I know I'm ranting. Listeners, but I got something to say. In this Philadelphia area, you have a lot of guys in the media on sports talk radio shows that are not truly Philadelphians. So I would say be mindful of your sources, you know, and never forget that people are loyal to their own best interests. Yeah, I mean, it's it's blatantly obvious, and it's been like that here in Philadelphia for a long time. Chase Utley can do no wrong. I mean, and that's point blank, period. And people ask why. Well, he's white. I mean, it's that simple. It's that simple. And when Chase Utley was healthy, Chase Utley had a six, seven-year run when he was arguably the best second baseman in baseball. You know what I mean? During that run, the Eagles had the best middle infield in baseball. Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley together. Shoot, during that period of time, you could argue that the Phillies had the best infield, offensive infield in baseball with Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, and Jimmy Rollins. Now, over the past few years, Chase Utley has been injured, hasn't been the same player. You know what I mean? Has been beat up. Is it Ruben Lamar Jr.? Should it, the, the fact that is Utley is in tough line. There's been playoff series in which Utley has disappeared. Nobody wants to rip him or call him on that. He's been injured. He hasn't been the guy that he used to be. His power numbers have went down. Ryan Howard has been injured. Numbers have been down. Jimmy Rollins, numbers since he won the MVP, since he, they won the World Series, they have declined. And it wasn't an injury. They just dropped. You know what I mean? He just played bad. Mm-hmm. Not only is his, his approach to the plate it was horrible, he played bad. Ruben Amaro Jr. is the culprit in all of this. Point blank, period. Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard is untradeable because of the contract. You know what I mean? And when he got the contract, the contract wasn't a bad contract. 
It just so happens that he got the contract, he got injured. Jimmy Rollins, a few years ago, when he was a free agent, I said it then on my radio show four years ago that he should have been allowed to walk because the culture of the team needed to change. Jimmy Rollins became lazy and a complete asshole after they won the World Series. Once they won that championship, it was back to, I'm going to swing at whatever I want. I'm going to show up to the ballpark 20 minutes before a game. I'm not going to run out ground balls. So you're damn right that people got on, got on you because you started to play like shit after they won the World Series. And Rupert Miles Jr. was too stupid to allow to let him go. He was the most tenured player on the team. The culture of the team needed to change. Jimmy Rollins should have been allowed to walk. Oakland wanted him. The Dodgers wanted him. Then, Bob, go ahead, let him walk. It was time to retool. He, two years ago, he had an opportunity to trade Chase Utley to the Detroit Tigers for some decent prospects. Didn't do it. The, Eagles, the Phillies are still holding on to Chase Utley. Still holding on. When you got an infielder in Cesar Hernandez with some promise. This is the exact reason why the Phillies are slated to win 70, the 72 games this year. Vegas set the over-under at 68 and a half for, for Phillies wins this year. This is the exact reason why at this point now in, the, in, in spring training, the Phillies are last in all 30 teams in all offensive categories because Ruben Amaro Jr. didn't let these guys go when it was time. Chase Utley had his run. You know what I mean? All that fine, good, he should have been out of here. Jimmy Rollins had a great run here. After they won the World Series, he became selfish Jimmy again. You know what I mean? Denied, didn't let, let them trade him because, no, I want the Phillies' hit record. I want to have more hits as a Philly than, than Michael Jack Schmidt. That's the, that's the crap I'm talking about. Jimmy, that's the reason why people come after you. That's the exact reason why. Then you got the nerve to come out and call Phillies fans front runners. But during that, whole, during that whole time when they opened up that ballpark, they sold that place out all the time. Even before that, y'all had even made the playoffs. So, don't, like, Jimmy Rollins – it's, 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 it's all good and fun. He talks about they don't allow you to be who you are. You, like you said, he's one of the top five sports figures in this town over the last 20 years. He's my Phillies. Philadelphia fans don't allow you to be who you are. Terrell Owens was more flamboyant than you. Allen Iverson was more flamboyant than you. I mean, it's been some guys here that was flamboyant and was themselves and they went out there and got the job done, and, and that was that. Jimmy, you were one of those guys. But if you thought you was above criticism because of the things that you did over the past four years, no. No, no, no. I mean, no. Like, that's what, and that's what people got to under, like, people got to understand that. In Philadelphia, you know, we, uh, uh, and, and you know what? I, I can't speak for everybody. But I can speak for most of the people that I talk to that are Philadelphia fans. And I would tell you that we just want 
a champion. We want guys that are going to come here and take their sport seriously. They're going to play hard. And I will point out to and I will point out to people. You look at some of the biggest the the biggest stars. You know, Donovan McNabb's issue with Philadelphia fans was the fact that he played too much. It was one of those things where, like, you hear people in the NBA talk about Dwight Howard, and his personality just doesn't really come off as, you know, Dwight Howard's personality don't come off as leader, don't come off as serious, you know, don't don't come off as invested as the fans of the sport is. And that's how McNabb came off. He came off that same kind of he came off that same kind of way. You know, everybody remembers remembers him in that championship game playing the air guitar, and it, it just it rub it rubs Philadelphia the wrong way. You know, we're not we, we listen. Most inner cities, especially from the the Midwest back, are blue collar towns. Most of them are. That's just how they that's just how they are. But at the at the same time, to say that you know stars don't do well here or don't get perceived well, listen, we had one of the biggest, most flamboyant stars ever to to ever two of them to ever play sports in the history of sports. When you talk about Wilt Chamberlain and you talk about um, Dr. J, both of those guys were bigger than the game that they played. Both of them were. You know, Wilt did his thing here. He did his thing in in L.A. You know, the guy, like. But see, it's it's more to me. It's more about the makeup of the person. See, Wilt was an inner city guy. He got it. You know, Dr. J was an inner. He was from New York, but he was an inner city guy. He got it. You know that that that's the part about it. That's that's just a little bit different that people don't that people don't understand about the city of Philadelphia. Like you in Philadelphia, guess what? You see a lot of Lakers fans in Philadelphia. You know, you see a lot of 49ers fans in Philadelphia. You see a lot of Cowboys fans in Philadelphia. So to say that people from Philadelphia don't like stars and don't you know those things, that's just that's wrong. That's just wrong. That's just wrong to say. That's and that's a perspective of somebody that's not from Philadelphia, you know. And 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 I and and you know I, I was listening to um, Ike Reese and I like and I like Ike Reese, but the thing about it is, how you're not from Philadelphia. You just played for the Philadelphia Eagles. So most most of your interactions were more so with people from South Jersey than it was from people from the the inner part of Philadelphia. So you know you, it's just it, it's frustrating sometimes because see we get this stigma about us as being bad fans and you know you I t- even about the snowball thing like you look at the snowball incident listen most of the people that go to the Philadelphia Eagles games are from South Jersey period that's where they are from that's not Philadelphia like you got to know your history you got to know what's going on before you start talking. I mean, the, people bring up the snowball thing that happened in the 60s. Like, I, I mean, but every time somebody gets a chance to take a shot of Philly, they bring up that. Not only that, like, what people have realized, Philadelphia fans may be brash and can be rude at times and honest, but a lot of the fans are 
pretty knowledgeable for the most part. Um, you know, they do watch the games. They, they're pretty knowledgeable. So, like, when they watch a baseball game and they see Jimmy Rollins swing at, you know, the two batters before Rollins walk on eight pitches, and then Jimmy Rollins come up and swing at the first pitch that he see and he pop it up, of course they're going to be upset because you know why? Because that's not smart baseball. Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb, people didn't just dislike him because he was a goofball. If Donovan McNabb would have won a Super Bowl, he would, be, he would have God status here. Him and Andy Reid would have God status here. But you know what? People are going to be critical about Donovan McNabb because in big games, in big spots, he overthrew balls. He didn't let the, pull the trigger. He underthrew balls. He didn't get it done in those big spots. The Eagles had with the with the favorite in four NFC championship games, lost three of them, went to the Super Bowl, had a chance to win that. They lost that. And he did not perform well in those big spots. It's all about winning a Super Bowl here. It's all about winning championships here. That's what it's all about, point blank period. And people outside of here don't get it. If I hear another idiot make a comment about the Sixers and how they should have signed Carl Landry and how they should have went this other way, they're doing it the wrong way, please shut up because you don't know what you're talking about. Like, Mike Patton, please. Like, and I don't mind calling your name. I'll try to get him to come on the show, and he refuses to come on here because he don't want to get bashed. Like, he don't want to get killed on this show. Like, a couple weeks ago, I went on Nick's show, and I was like, put me on with him. Mike don't want to get on the show with me. Like, I mean, come on. Like, back up the bullshit that you're writing. I mean, right. and that's and and this is, and this is that's Philadelphia, like that's Philadelphia right there. Like you say something, now say it to me. You know that's Phil, that's Philadelphia. That is what. That's what we are. That's what we do. You know, and and, and, and you know we went we went a little bit further along than we 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 usually do, but it's just something that we gotta like like you just gotta address. And and that's what Philadelphia does. People from the inner city of Philadelphia, if they got a problem with it, then they address it. That's what they do. And you know, uh, uh, and I don't think a lot of people see this, but that's something that I kind of see with Chip Kelly. And everybody may not agree with all the moves that he's making, but he said it himself. Listen, going ten and six is ten and six. It's not winning the Super Bowl. So don't tell me that, oh, we should just do this or we should just do that because what we've been doing ain't good enough. Now, the thing, listen, it may be totally wrong. It may be totally wrong. But I would much rather have somebody look at a team and say, yo, this is not getting us to a Super Bowl and trying to fix it, opposed to saying, listen, let me just make sure that I add a little bit. Maybe we'll grow. Maybe we'll be competitive. Like we kind of seen with Andy Reid and staying loyal, you know, to his and to his guys. You know, and I'm sure we'll talk about that with 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 um Jeffrey Laurie and his and most of his comments. But first, you know, my first question was, what do you think about our starting cornerbacks from last year 
both of them, one going to um, Seattle and the other going to the the Patriots. Like how did like 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 what did you think of that? I was surprised Terry Williams got signed. Terry Williams wasn't as bad as Fletcher. I mean Fletcher stinks. I mean for what they asked Fletcher to do, he wasn't a fit for what they was asking him to do. Kerry Williams during his time in Baltimore proved to be a decent player. Um, do he have some weaknesses? Yeah. When the ball's up in the air deep down the field, he has some issues locating the ball, finding the ball, making a play on it. I'm not surprised that Pete Carroll and the, and and them, you know, they wanted him. Kerry Williams will I guarantee you don't be surprised if he plays well there next year. I mean, that's just that. Fletcher, they signed him to a one-year deal to see what he got, see if, if he can make the team. I doubt if he even makes an impact for them. I mean, but they lost their two-star cornerbacks from last year. They're taking a flyer on Fletcher. In my opinion, they're obviously going to – they got some guys in the fold, Logan Ryan, um, the kid that made the play Butler in the Super Bowl, and I imagine them drafting another cornerback as well. But, I mean, Fletcher is really on his last leg in the NFL. He couldn't make it with St. Louis. He played horribly here. Um, in my opinion, he's more of a cover two zone cornerback. But we'll see what he if he makes the team the Patriots. But Kerry Williams still has some value in his league. He still can play a bit. And I would not be surprised if he plays well for the for Seahawks next year. Yeah, and I, I meant, you know, like I said, I don't really, I don't really know about it. But like my take on football in general is is not so much about your individual talent as it is about the scheme that the coaches put you in. Whereas from the sport that I come from in basketball, it don't matter the system that you put in. If you can play, you can play. If you can't, you can't. Like, you can't hide it. Like, you may, you may have a guy that just feels com- more comfortable with certain coaches or whatever the case is, but it's not like you could just go to a team and not play well and be on another team and play bad. Like, in, in basketball, what happened with um, with uh, Namdi Asamoa, don't it, it don't happen. You know, you don't get a guy that was a, a all-star, you know, first-team guy, and then he goes to another team and he's just horrible. You know, that don't happen. So that's why, you know, I had wanted to know, you know, just your thoughts on those guys going there because, I mean, one thing that we know is is that, listen, winners win. And when you, you know, and when you put together when you put together a winning team with a guy that wants to win, the chances are they're going to be more successful. And I guess it's like, all right, what did they see that, you know, that Philadelphia uh, Eagles didn't see and those guys are to put them in a certain position. Yeah, I mean, in Seattle, they lost Maxwell. Um, the other corner lane not only broke his arm and his wrist, but he tore his ACL in that Super Bowl. I mean, they need they they needed some yeah like they need guys right they, right okay yeah they, no, they, okay they, yeah like they needed they need guys and Richard Sherman you know was injured during the postseason as well I mean so you got to get some bodies and Kerry Williams for what is worth wasn't great here but he's still a guy that that can play and in their system 
what he does well, that's what they do. So I would not be surprised if he ends up being the starting corner opposite Richard Sherman or just a part of rotation and playing well there. I know he's happy to go to a situation um, like Seattle and, you know, and play for that defense. I think he'll he'll do fine. Fletcher, we'll see if he even makes the team. Yeah. And, like, I mean, from what I've seen from Fletcher, you know, I've seen every down that the Eagles played. I mean, he was just bad. He was just bad. And, uh, I mean, ain't no um, – like, ain't nothing else to say about it. He was bad. Yeah, I mean, he – you play – you got him playing press man corner. He can't, he can't turn and run. You don't locate – I mean, he's just not – He's not a, a starting cornerback in this league, and he's damn sure not a guy that can play press man coverage. I mean, every I'm in a mist. I'm wrapping up film study on cornerbacks now for NFL draft. Different cornerbacks play different styles. Different cornerbacks can win in different situations. You know what I mean? Whether they tall, me. I mean, everybody do something a little bit different. And Fletcher wasn't one of those guys in St. Louis, and he he damn sure wasn't that for the Eagles. Put him in a cover two situation. If he played for Lovey Smith, I think you would get more out of him because he's a guy that can tackle, will attack, or a decent hitter. And in that cover two scheme, you're not asking him to play a guy one-on-one and chase him down the field and chase just have a guy. That's not what he's good at. He's not good at that. Yeah, I mean we we know that. I mean uh, from <laughs> just from, you know, what we've seen. And uh, you know, uh the other part of the Philadelphia news was the the the, the Jeffrey Laurie um speaking today and talking about Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman and and all of those things, man. Just just fire away. Like I like I like I had I think I had a a, a question for like every comment that he made, but you, the listeners know, and you know that's me. I'm going to always make things as simple as possible, and I could save everybody the trouble of watching or listening to that press conference because pretty much what he said was, "I can't tell y'all this, but the fact is, Chip Kelly said it's either me." or Howie Roseman in some form or fashion, and Jeffrey Lurie said, okay, it's going to be you. Am I and wrong? It's not, it's not, yeah, and the problem I got with it is he he did the same crap with Andy Reid. He let Andy Reid come to him and say, oh, we're going to take the offensive line coach who's only coached offensive line in the NFL. We're not going to make him a tight ends coach. We're not going to make him a running backs coach. We're not going to make him the offensive coordinator. We're going to make him the defensive coordinator. After we had Jim Johnson, one of the best to argue we ever do it. So now he allowed the same thing with, with Chip Kelly. And the quotes, we didn't have the players that can maximize Chip. Okay, I'm fine with that. That's okay. It was my call to change the GM. You say that. But then you say Chip Kelly came to you with this whole plan put out. 
Chip Kelly a couple weeks ago basically lied to everybody, which we all knew was a lie, when he said it wasn't his choice. It wasn't his idea. That's a complete lie. How we, uh, Lori came out today and said that Chip Kelly came to him with the plan. Like, I mean, nobody's stupid here. Like, what are y'all still lying about? Like, what the hell are y'all lying for? Everybody knew Chip Kelly made the power play. That same day, when the reporters asked Lurie, was Roseman going to be back at gym? And he made that smirk on his face. What do you mean, is he going to be back? Of course he's going to be back as general manager. Well, a couple of days later, he's not the general manager. I guess I would ask you, I would ask you like in that situ- in that situation what would you what would you look for the what would you expect the coach to say or what would you look for the coach to say in that situation I mean the Eagles last the last time Chip Kelly talked right at the end of the season he basically and I guess these guys forget the stuff that they say when they're under when the bullets is flying. They asked him about Harry Roseman and Tom Gamble, and he basically said at that time that Tom Gamble was a great football guy. Roseman wasn't a football guy. Then today, he Jeff Lurie says Chip Kelly wanted to feel comfortable with a football guy as his personnel person again saying that Howie Roseman wasn't that guy. I mean, they for, see, I pay attention. I listen. I write down stuff that they've said. They must forget the things that they've said. I mean, Chip Kelly, you know, doesn't like to say much, but there's times in which he says some things, and a couple weeks later he may have forgotten that he said it, and people that pay attention is like, oh, that's what he means. So, I mean, it's already it, it was already known a known fact that you went in there with your plan. You told the the owner, "Look, we got to do this my way. I want to get my players, my personnel guys. We're going to do this the way I want to do it, or I'm going back to college." And yeah. that's ex- that's exactly what happened. Everybody knows that ex- that's exactly what happened. And, and I guess you know you can't you can't just come out and say that you did that. But to me, it's like, well, why can't you why can't you say that? Now and I get I, I get it that that Howie Roseman has been great with the salary cap and has and has put a put the Eagles in a situation where you know they're never up against the cap. But I guess my thing would be I'm just I'm just this kind of person. Even though he's done a good job with the salary cap, I would much rather just have football people doing football things. It's plain and simple. I don't, and it ain't no knock. It's no knock on on uh, Howie Roseman and what and what he's doing and how he's doing it. It's no knock on him. I'm just saying, for football purposes, give me a football guy. Is is. Is that is that wrong to think that way? I mean, I don't. Holly Roseman doesn't have a proven track record, in in my opinion, outside of allegedly 
when they fired Andy Reid, they wanted to throw Andy Reid under the bus, and it's it's it's, it's very ironic. Andy Reid out the door, they give Howie Roseman credit for for that 2012 draft. Now they throw Roseman under the bus and say he's not a football guy. You, you know what I mean? So I mean, which one is it? I mean, either he was good enough. If either the 2012 draft was his solely, he had final say on that draft. And at that time, again, see, they forget what they said over a period of time. And I would have loved to have been there because my question to Lori would have been, well, if he's not a football guy, you said after you fired Andy Reid that Howie Roseman did a great job scouting the 2012 draft and, and draft that he had final say on that draft. So you're saying he's not a football guy now, so which one is it? Like, don't double-talk me. Well, I mean, and, it's, it's not double-talk. It's just not the truth. Yeah, I mean, and that that's my whole thing. I never was a Roseman guy from the start. Like, I never was a Roseman guy. Now, the, the guy now, um, Merowitz, got a proven track record of dealing with personnel with the University of Alabama. He worked under Bill Parcells with the Dolphins. So Chip Kelly feels comfortable with him, and we're going to see how it all plays out. From so far, it only took these guys 30 minutes to pull a bill off and trade Shady McCoy to the Bills. According to the Rams general manager, he tells um, Sal Palantonio that they basically duped Duke the Eagles out of a second-round pick by Lions and saying the Browns was going to give him a first-round pick for for um for Sam Bradford. So, in my opinion, it's not starting out well because nobody's going to sit and tell me that Sam Bradford, who's got coming off of two ACLs, the Browns was going to give up one of their first-round picks for Sam Bradford. So the Eagles ended up not only giving up foes, but they ended up giving up next year's second-round pick which is a valuable pick in a draft for a quarterback in Sam Bradford that has a, a extensive injury history. So right now I'm pissed off, and they're proving right now that it ain't going well. When I find out that the, that, that the Rams basically hoodwinked you into giving up a second-round pick by lying to Santa Brown who's going to give up a first, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, and, and those and those kind of things. I mean, I don't like. I, I just know I don't have no no expertise in being in that situation in any shape, way, or form. And it's just like um, the one thing that I do know is is that if you think that Sam Bradford is your quarterback, you absolutely got to do everything to get him. Because, you know, the one thing that I say is is that it's just important to have your quarterback. Now, my question about Sam Bradford, you know, and I know you've said this before that he, he can play. What At what level, if Sam Bradford is healthy, what kind of quarterback are you getting? I mean, you're getting a guy that's very accurate, a great pocket passer. I mean, a guy that a can complete 63 to 66% of his passes and a guy that throws with timing and accuracy and anticipation. 
he's just never been able to maximize his talent because he's just been injured. I mean, coming out of college, he was a first-round draft pick. He was considered the first pick overall unanimously. Like, nobody doubted his ability coming out of college. You know what I mean? Nick Foles, I had a third-round grade on coming out. Sam Bradford had a a top-10 grade. A first a first round grade. He's a first round quarterback, but he's been injured, so it's been an availability thing. Two ACLs over the past couple of years. You know, with shoulder injury on the on the throwing shoulder. I mean, since he's left college, his last year of college to this point, he's been injured. So it's a big gamble because you got a guy with talent, but is he going to be able to play sixteen games? The first time he gets hits low, are we going to see him down on the ground holding his knee? Is he going to be able to last? That's the whole thing about it. If he plays 16 games and he throws over 4,000 yards, if he throws for 28 touchdowns, 11, 12 interceptions, completes 65% of his passes, then there will be no complaint. I mean, but also you want obviously the Eagles need to win a playoff game, you know, being in a position to win a Super Bowl. That's the whole thing. It's a, a bunch of ifs right now because if the Eagles were getting a guy that wasn't injury prone, I mean, for real, for real, if he wasn't a guy that was injury prone, he probably still would be playing with the Rams. They wouldn't be thinking about trading him. But the Rams is willing to go another direction because he hasn't been able to play. So it's a definitely a big-time risk giving up not only Nick Foles but also giving up a 2015 second-round pick when year after year we see second-round picks coming to this league and the impact players on a year-to-year basis. This ain't a second-round pick in the NBA. This is a second-round pick in a seven-round NFL draft in which is seven rounds between 256 and 280 players is drafted on a yearly basis depending on compensatory picks. Second-round picks are very valuable, very valuable. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I, I know from listening, you know, listening to you, you know, and seeing what's going on is definitely, it's definitely a big, it's definitely a big deal. And so it's, it's just one of those things where I'm just I, like, like what I'm real, like I'm just looking for the truth, you know. Like I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what's the truth and what I see as the truth. And and I would tell you this: this is what, the, this is what I know. Two things: Jeffrey Laurie is going to let his coach pretty much do what they want to do, and I don't have that. And and I don't particularly have an issue with it because with especially with a guy like Chip Kelly. And the reason and the reason why I don't have this issue with Chip Kelly is because when we hired him, we knew we was getting something different. You know, we knew we was getting something that we ain't never seen or you know, never been a part of before. So, once we once we got him, I expected things to be a little bit different in different ways. I guess it's just now it seems like to me I hear so much negativity about Chip Kelly and I I'm just not sure because I know that I I know he he's won 20 games in two two years here. 
And I would think that that would lend itself towards him getting a little bit more time to do the things that he want to do because I just feel like he was handicapped because of how successful he was his first year. If if the team wouldn't have made the playoffs in the first year, chances are most of those guys are gone. But because of how well it went, it was hard for him to do that. And I know I keep saying that, and I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm just a Chip Kelly fan. It's not that I'm a Chip Kelly fan. I just believe that once you give somebody a job, you got to give them an opportunity to do it the way that you hired them to do it. Or maybe the fact that Roseman, when he first came in, and Roseman had a big part to do with actually hiring Chip Kelly. And now that they disagree, it's, I mean, I guess things are different. And that's how I view the situation, that because they're not on the same accord, this process has changed and what Chip needs to do in order to be successful in his mind. Yeah, I mean, but you look at it. In, in, in San Francisco, general manager, coach wasn't on the same court. The, they, the general manager, the owner kept that general manager in place, and they allowed Jim Harbaugh to walk. And now, you know, Tom Sula has the job. Here, the owner chose the coach over the general manager. And I'm – I'm okay. Like, I'm perfectly I'm perfectly fine with Jeffrey Lurie allowing, um, you know, Chip Kelly to do things the way that he wants it to be done. Like, I'm perfectly okay with that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with, with that happening. You know what I mean? Because now Chip Kelly has his style. He got his style. He's getting his players in. And now, basically, the situation is Chip Kelly has to win doing things the way that he wants them done. You know what I mean? When they hired when, – when the Eagles hired Chip Kelly, Heath Evans, who used to play for the Saints, they said it was the worst hire in the history of the NFL. I mean, I'm not going to go that far. I mean, he – you know, just has had it out for the Eagles since they decided to make this hire. And, I mean, that's his own personal agenda. What's wrong, though? What, what, I, I was going to mention that, too. What, what, what's going on with this guy? I I, I don't I mean, you got some guys, you got some guys who just got their own personal agenda, and Heath Evans is one of those guys, and it's his own personal agenda. And the thing about it is, and it's sort of, like, when Merrill Hodge used to have issues with Andy Reid, the way he coached, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was legitimate. He didn't just come out and just say a bunch of crap. Merrill Hodge actually watched tape, and on a week-to-week basis, he would come on the NFL matchup show and show different things that the Eagles weren't doing well and, you know, adjustments that weren't being made. And Eagles fans didn't like it, but I knew that he wasn't just making it up because I sat there and watched what he was talking about as he was explaining it. Heath Evans just has it out for the Eagles. I mean, it's that simple. It's that simple. But for in order for Chip Kelly to shut everybody up that's doubting him, he's got to get it done. They have to get it done. You're yeah. in charge. Jeff Lurie gave you, you know, the keys to the truck. He's getting his own players in. DeMarco Murray is in. Ryan Matthews is in. 
You let Shady go. You let Macklin go. You let Deshaun go. Right now, you're starting wide receivers suck. You got to get another wide receiver ahead of play, and I'm, they may do it at pick 20. I'm not sure what, what they decide to do. Some people think that the Eagles still might try to move up, but I was thinking about this the other day. If the Eagles do move up, it may it's, it may not be to get the court, a quarterback. It may try to get one of the top wide receivers in this draft, Cooper, White, or Devontae Parker. Because one, those three players, any of those three can come in and start for the Eagles day one or any NFL team and be able to make an impact. The Eagles have to improve the wide receiver position. Huff, Riley Cooper, Jordan Matthews ain't good enough. Ain't good enough. That's a position that definitely has to be upgraded. The Eagles may stay at 20. They may draft Jalen Strong, Philly guy from Arizona State. They may draft Dorio Green Beckham at number 20, a pick that I would be perfectly be fine with because he got a first-round pick. They um, grade with me. They may draft Devin Funches, 6'5", 235 from Michigan, wide receiver. They may draft one of those guys. Yeah, they have to improve the wide receiver position. Chip Kelly has to win. It's that simple. Super I would love Bowl. to see. Super Bowl. I would love to see them get um, you know, Jalen Strong. I would love I would love to see him get him because it's one of those it's just one of those things where you know that he understands the expectation in Philly. You know what I'm saying? And that's and 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 that's just me being from Philadelphia, you know, if they could get him, if it, and that, and I don't even like I don't know where, like I don't know where they might get him at, you know, I don't know where they would get him at, what would happen in that situation, but that would be something that I would like. I mean, I definitely, you know, uh, Parker and White and Cooper, you know, we got one of them. I, I would be great too. And it's just with the whole thing with Phil, with, with with Philadelphia and everybody just having an opinion about how things should should or shouldn't be done. It's um. It's 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 surprising to me. It's surprising to me for a team that just you, you know we haven't been a championship team since '60, you know, and because we haven't been a championship team since '60, is it's like listen, I, I would much rather get some. I would much rather have somebody that's going to try to make the changes to do the thing to win a Super Bowl, and that and that's something that I heard from, you know, that's something that I heard. Um, Chip Kelly say, you know, it's about it's about winning the Super Bowl, and I'm like, all right, well, if it's about winning the Super Bowl, then I'm all in. I guess from the, my issue with Jeffrey Lurie is 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 that typically when you have a owner, you want him to be a leader. Like I don't know, I don't know a lot of the owners and how they are. You just want them to be a leader. You want them to be upfront, and you want to be and you want them to be honest. You know, I tell my son all the time. You know, there's two qualities in a real man: a real man don't lie, and a real man works really, really hard for the things that he gets. And 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 you, and you want that kind of guy at the top. And with some of the answers that he's given, I don't really know how truthful they are. You know, I like I, I don't know how truthful those things are, but I could just give my perception of how it seems because it do seem like it was just a situation where Chip Kelly was like, yo, this guy is not a football guy. He don't know what he's doing. 
And if that's the case, and if Chip Kelly feels that way, even like even with the NFL draft, see, I don't put so much stock into one draft. If they're going to say that the 2012 draft that got the good players was Howie's, that's cool. But there was still drafts before and after that that weren't that good. You know, that was one time that you got it right. And I like I, I'm gonna keep harping on this, but I'm gonna tell you like if if you if you in a football setting, the guys around you they're gonna listen. You're gonna want football guys around, period, because the football guys can see things that that numbers don't say. They see things that the numbers don't say, you know. And I and, and I'll go back to. Um, you know, Wissene made some news. Alan Iverson made some news about wanting to be, you know, in the front office with the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, people, you know, you you hear people saying, well, you know, Iverson is not a front office kind of guy. I said, I'll tell you what, if I'm picking players, I would love to have Alan Iverson in there and telling me who the guys that have heart and who the guys that don't, who the guys you think will be able to make it in Philadelphia, the guys that won't. He has experience in it. He has expertise in it. I'm not saying, yo, you go out there and you let them pick the players. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it wouldn't be a bad idea to actually hear what he got to say. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. One, he played basketball. He played at a high level. And he knows basketball. I mean, and I don't think – Iverson's opinion on a basketball player would be like analytics based. You know, what I mean, it'd just be Iverson and look at a guy, and especially guys, guys that played the game and been around the game their whole lives, they know who can play. I mean, they just know who can play. I'm a strong believer in that. Certain guys just know how to play basketball. You know, what I mean, they know what what players are. And I believe Allen Iverson would be an ass. I mean, Larry Brown has came out numerous times, and we both respect Larry Brown and his basketball knowledge. He's came out numerous times and said they felt as though Allen Iverson could be a, a decent basketball coach, you know, or somebody that should be around a team as far as, you know, just basketball period. So I, 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 a couple years ago I was on Facebook and I was in that basketball group that we in. And I forgot who it was. When Rasheed Wallace had got the job, Maurice Cheek that hired him to be the assist, you know, assistant coach to work with the big men. I forgot who it was at the time. But they was like, well, why the hell would they hire Rasheed Wallace? And my response was, have you ever seen Rasheed Wallace play? Rasheed Wallace is one of the smartest basketball players I've ever seen play. Rasheed mm-hmm. Wallace, he was fundamentally sound. Going back to high school, he – Learned it from Mr. Allerby. He played for two. He played for uh, two great coaches in high school and college, and Mr. Allerby and Dean Smith that taught him how to play the basketball. Rasheed Wallace always played the game the right way, fundamentally wise. Did he have a bad temper? Of course, we know that. But if I wanted somebody to teach a big man how to post up and play basketball, offensively and defensively, I want Rasheed Wallace doing it. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. You know, and, and it's not, and it's one of those things where, like, people are always look at, well, 
all great players ain't great coaches. Well, it's not. We we not talking about being the darn coach. We just talking about having a guy there that understands how to do it and that has done it at a high level. Just getting just getting his knowledge. Like I tell people all the time, my my game was shaped and formed from the people around me. Bits and pieces of other people's games, I did, I, I took, and it made my game how it was. And that's how you learn the game, and that's how you start to see, and that's how you start to see the game. And then you can break down guys and say, "Well, this guy don't really do this well, or this guy don't really do that well," because you can see it. And that, you know, that takes me back to the, my original point about Howie Roseman and what was and what was going on. Like, if and, and to me. If Chip Kelly didn't have final say in drafting Marcus Smith, then with Howie Roseman already being in the war room, then he should have said, we are not going to take Marcus Smith. We're going to take the the best next player. And I'm going to tell you like this. I heard somebody say, well, you know, Howie Roseman always – they tried to get the players with, with Andy Reid. Tried to get the players in place through free agencies that they needed, so that they wouldn't have to pick for need, but just the the bet the next best available player. And I just did like there were players that were better than Marcus Smith that we could have used this year on our team. That that's one thing that I know now because the season has already passed and guys have played well that got picked behind Marcus Smith. And Marcus Smith just – and this is no knock on Marcus Smith because I still think that he can still be a really good player. But first pick, my first-round pick, I need a guy that's going to play. I need a guy that's going, you know, going to do some things that you, you say this guy has a chance to be a star. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Eagles got caught their pants down last year with the whole high Clinton Dix thing. And, again, it's another situation after the season they asked Chip Kelly about whose pick was Marcus Smith, and he said it was Howie Roseman's pick. Do we really know whose pick it was? Because if the pick was a good pick, for all we know, Chip Kelly could have said, if Marcus Smith would have had eight, nine sacks last year, Chip Kelly may have said the pick that he decided that Marcus Smith was the guy. I mean, we, we don't know. I mean, it's a situation that guys, just throwing each other under the bus. Andy Reid was out the door. They threw him under the bus, gave Holly Roseman credit. Now Holly Roseman isn't the general manager. Now we got to put out a reason why Holly Roseman isn't the general manager no more. I mean, just come out and say, I went to the owner. I had a plan. He agreed with the plan that he we wanted to do this this way. This is my, my plan, my situation. And Holly Roseman got demoted. But with a raise on top of it to help him chill out. Then a, a quote, one of the quotes that I found real interesting was they asked, let me see, where are these quotes at? Now they, let me find these quotes. They had asked Jeff Lloyd. Jeffrey Lloyd had said that the Tom Gamble firing was a long time coming. I still want to know from somebody what exactly happened. Why was Tom Gamble let go? You know what I mean? And from what we heard, Howie Roseman was the one that fired Tom Gamble. That wasn't his decision. So Howie Roseman fired Gamble. Now today 
Lori saying it was a long time coming, like nobody got along with Tom Gamble. When that was a guy that Chip Kelly hand-selected. It wasn't Howie Roseman's hire. Yeah, I mean, that's and, – and these are the things that, like, I, I'm confused about. You know, when you look at the situation, you're like, well, hold on now. If, you know, if you're going to let Chip do it, then you got to let Chip do it. Like, you can't you, – like, Howie Roseman fired Tom Gamble. Now, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be on the side of Tom Gamble because Tom Gamble is a football guy. He's all, you, You've already seen him – be successful doing the football things. So I'm like, listen, you 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 just can't have that happening on the football team where the football guys are getting fired, and the guys that are doing the firing are not football guys. That's just that's it's just simple. That's simple to me. Yep, and a football guy that was fired that's very knowledgeable, very good. Um, Lewis Riddick, when all this stuff was happening, he was like, this is. He had tweeted out when Tom Gamble was fired, this has been a trend that's been going on for the last couple of years, them get rid of football guys, those guys being out the door, and it's not a good thing. So Chip Kelly and Morano with these guys, they have to prove that they're able to get the job done from a coaching standpoint, a player personnel standpoint, because Chip Kelly can coach. Was there some flaws in his scheme over the first couple years? Yeah. What I want to see from Chip Kelly is, is he too prideful not to switch some of those things? I like the fact that he wants to run the ball. And in year one, they led the league in rushing. And I think that's – I actually like that about Chip Kelly. But when you got a defense, and I've said this on the show 200 times probably. When you got a defense that's not very good and you're not converting third downs offensively, what good is it to go fast if the offense isn't moving anywhere? It's like hitting the gas on the car while the car is in park. You're hitting the acceleration and the car not going nowhere. It's just sitting there. It makes no sense to continue to go fast. When you got a defense that can't get off of the field on third downs, get tired, they can't rush the passer, they can't make plays, why you continue to send them out there two years straight? Their defense led the league in the most downs played. The Eagles' defense did. I mean, this ain't college. Time of possession in the NFL means something in the NFL, whether he wants – this ain't the NCAA. This ain't New Hampshire. This ain't Oregon. Time of possession means something in the NFL, point blank period, regardless of what he wants to say. I like the fact that he wants to be a run-first team. I'm perfectly fine with it. I think that's something that the NFL has gotten away with, but the two teams that made it to the Super Bowl this year were teams that ran the football very well this year. So it's a proven fact that regardless of the rule changes, it being a passing league, you still need to be able to run the football. And I like the fact that they're going to be a power running football team. But at the end of the day, Chip Kelly and Jeffrey Lurie are going to be judged in this tenure to whether they win playoff games and they win a Super Bowl. Ten and six the first couple years wasn't good enough like they both said. Lurie said today, 
Chip Kelly said it. So now the next step is not to be 10 and 6. The, the next step is to win a division, win some playoff games, and win a Super Bowl. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. Bottom line. Yeah, I mean, a, a, listen. Absolutely, that's what it come down to. Like, and that's the and and that's the perspective that you gotta have here. And you know, for for the people that think that Jeffrey Lurie don't want to win a Super Bowl, I would tell them that you don't know what you're talking about because anybody that is as successful as Jeffrey Lurie has been in life wants to continue to be successful. You know, that's 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 how he got successful in the first place. Seeking success and that's what and, and, and I know and I believe that he wants to be successful and he wants to win a Super Bowl. Now would I would have liked him to have more of a football background, yeah, but he doesn't. But the one thing that he do know is is that the coach that he hires, he believes that he has a football background and he wants to see that guy do the things that he does well and give him the things that he needs to be successful. And, I'm, and, and, you know, I'm fine with it. And like I tell people all the time, listen, Chip Kelly could be wrong. Like next year they could go 5-11 and 11, and that be that and Chip Kelly go another place. But what, I, what I'm okay with is just the fact that Chip Kelly want to do it his own way. And he, and he, and he man enough to say, if I'm going to go down – I'm going to go down the way, me trying to do it my way, the best way to win. Yeah, and look, I mean, you look at some of the quotes from from today. Lori said he simply changed his mind about Rosen being GM. It was my call on the front office development, which obviously Chip Kelly came up with the idea. It's difficult. It's very difficult to go from good to great. Lori said he felt as though Chip would do a better job with his own personnel guy, which I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, let me see. Lori said there's no question that Chip is final say on all football matters. Lori said the gamble firing was unrelated to Chip getting control, which obviously we know that because Holly Rosen was the one that fired Tom Gamble. Um. Lori says he wants to get the best out of Chip. Clearly, he and Chip think that Howie. Um, Lori said that he wanted he wants to get the best out of Chip, and you know one of the reporters that was down there tweeted he clearly thinks he and Chip Kelly thought that Howie Roseman was getting in the way of that. So that's when you end up getting getting fired. Lori said that Chip was testing himself in the first two years working with Howie installing system. Then it became that they wasn't able to maximize Chip Kelly's ability with Howie Roseman being, you know, the general manager. Um, let me see. Chip Kelly wanted a football guy as his right-hand man in personnel, and obviously Ed Moranowitz was that guy that they hired. And, again, they say that the time game of firing wasn't made on the spot. It was a long time coming. And Tom Campbell hasn't came out and spoken about what was what, happening. I would love to hear from Tom Gamble what was wrong. I mean, because it may have been a situation in which see, Kelly got 
became friends with Gamble during his time in college and when Gamble was out on the road scouting and coming to Oregon to scout players and that kind of stuff, Tom Gamble got an NFL pedigree. So what may have happened was Tom Gamble may have gotten a job. He may have gotten there, and him and Chip Kelly, Howie Roseman may have clashed, may have not agreed on certain aspects when it came to personnel, and they decided that they had to move. They had to move Tom, Tom Gamble. That may have been the situation. I'm not sure, but I know this. When Chip Kelly was hired, I thought the biggest hire that they made outside of Chip Kelly getting being the head coach, I thought Tom Gamble was the perfect hire because they brought in a personnel guy with a proven track record. But he's not here no more. So now the, the, the comparison will be Gamble's back with the 49ers. The, the, thing, the, the comparison now will be how do the Eagles drafts compare to the 49ers draft and do the 49ers get back on a winning track? Do they get to the Super Bowl again before the Eagles get to the Super Bowl? That's going to be the comparison. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely it. That's de- I mean but it's it when you look at these kind of situations it's just so tough in 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 my opinion because you're not going to get the truth from nobody because it doesn't benefit anybody to really tell you the truth. You know? They're only going to tell you what you want to hear or they're going to they're going to put themselves out there to answer questions, but they're not going to answer the questions that you really want to know. And that's, I mean, even with today, you know, Jeffrey Lurie says some things, but, you know, you're still like, man, just say it. Just, you know, I mean, so many words he said it today that he chose Chip over Howie, and I get that. But it wasn't like why he did it, you know. It wasn't like why did he do it. So, you know, it, it, we'll we'll see. You know, we'll see how this thing plays out. Um, I think I've um, said how said how I feel about it. I said, you know, I'll have um, I'll have my opinion more clearly once the NFL draft comes, and with players that we draft, and what you think of the players that we draft, and and at that point, I can kind of. Um, Look at how I feel about how things are going moving forward. Yeah, I mean, after the draft and heading into training camp, like I have a much better idea of what the possible vision is. And down I mean, there, obviously, once they put the pads and stuff on, and you get out there and see who can you know really get it done. I mean, because OTAs and all that stuff is cool and dandy, and you use that as a tool to get mentally prepared and start running the system and stuff, but once you get out there and get them pads and stuff on, you find out who the hell the real men are. I mean, because plenty of guys will look good with just a helmet on and shorts and all that kind of stuff, but when you start putting them pads on, you see who is, you know, willing to go out there and be physical and still be able to remember their assignments and know what to do and um, who can process information quickly and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, once the preseason gets started and the Eagles get out there and start playing and you just actually get a chance to see who's out there playing um, and what the Eagles plan on doing, you know, 
offensively, defensively, all that kind of stuff, that's when you're really going to find out what's what. Like, I'm, The funniest thing to me is, and at some point before they even get to the training camp, the NFL schedule for next year is going to be released. And then you got these idiots who take the time to do wins and losses, and you don't even know who the hell is going to be on the 53-man roster. You haven't even seen these guys play a preseason game, none of that, but these jackasses take out the time and do wins and losses. And people ask, like, why would I waste my time? It makes no sense. Hey, I, and I don't, I mean, I don't even pay no attention to it. You know, I just let them... I just let them rock out and let them do their thing because you, you, you. I, most people be feeling like they got to talk and they got to talk about something, and they feel like that's the thing to talk about to say, all right, well, we gonna predict the games they gonna win and lose. You know, you just, I mean, you just, you can't do that. And, and yeah, I can't. I, I like, I, I've never done that. I've never looked at games and said, all right, well, this is how you lose it. You just got to watch the games and see what the heck is going on. You got to see what the heck is going on in the games. You can't see I mean, wh- who's going to win or lose without seeing a team play. You can't. The, I think the schedule come out sometime next month or in May, maybe after the draft. They haven't even gotten to training camp yet. They haven't played a, a down in the preseason, and people are doing wins and losses. I mean, you have no idea how good a team is going to be. You don't know who's going to be on the team. Like, you just don't know. I mean, like, people ask me on Twitter, Are you doing, have you done a mock draft? Why would I do a mock draft now? Free agency, people was asking before free agency about doing a mock draft. Why would I do a mock draft before free agency when teams are going to cut guys, guys are going to get signed. If I do do a my draft, it'll be the day of the draft or the day before the draft because I may have a better idea. I mean, and my, my draft will be based upon who I feel as though the team should draft. I mean, my board is different from all the 32 teams' board, most likely. I mean, but people do my drafts because – Around this time of year, people just search my draft on Google and that'll get their website hits. No, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm going to give you good content, good, solid, informative content. I'm not just going to make a mock draft just so I can get 10,000 hits on my site in a week. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, in, in this, like, in this business, I the thing that I've seen is is that it's too much about your own opinion. And I just feel like we should have an obligation to talk about just what we see. Just what you just what you see, you know, from watching the film, from watching the tape and that's something that, you know, I all that we always talk about. That's what sports you know, trap radio, sports trap T V that's this is what the foundation that it's built on. Watching a film and report on what you see from the tape. You know, it's like when you go to when you go to court, like everybody can say what they want, but then they put the tape on and say, "Look at what happened." Y'all see what happened? This is what this is what actually happened. There's two people with two different stories, but the tape is the tape, and it say exactly what it is. The tape will never lie. I tell people all the time, it'll never lie, and I can watch it. 
and see if somebody else watched or saw the same thing. The other day, um, Kyle Krabs, he run a website, NDT Scout, and he pretty he's very good at what he do, scouting NFL draft. So he had posted a picture of one of his scouting reports. I think it was Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. He had posted, but he didn't have the name and the player. So I started reading the scouting report, and he was saying, guess who it was? So he posted it, and, like, I started reading it, and like, five seconds into it, I'm like, well, I know exactly who this guy is. That's Ari Kwanjo, the left guard from Alabama. So I said, that's Ari Kwanjo. And he was like, man, you ain't no fear. Like, that was Ari Kwanjo. Yeah, you're damn right over him. I, I said, you know what? I said, I was I, – one, I know that you good at what you do, but two, that because he good at what he do, and I was able to read his scout report, and I already watched film on the guards two months ago and got my scout reports done on the guards. I'm like, well, and I'm not cocky. Like, I know I'm I, I'm good at what I do, but that gave me some assurance because he's very well respected as an NFL draft scout. I'm like, well, if I was able – to figure that out that quick by, you know, reading two sentences of the scouting report, I must be doing something right. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, that's why we're going to keep keep on moving. And I know whoever it is that's going to give us that opportunity is probably listening, you know, now and saying, well, let me hear a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the work going, the work going to speak for itself. I mean, that's one thing I always believe. In order to achieve something great, to be great at something, you gotta be willing to sacrifice and work at something. And I'm just a hard working person. Like I always will work hard. Like I, I'm gonna end up watching tape on four or five hundred players this year. You know what I mean? I said I wanted to top. I think last year it was like three hundred and. 50 players last year, I said, well, I want to top what I did last year. So it's going to end up being 450 to 500 players most likely. I'm going to have a big board, you know, full probably between four or 500 players. Guys on that big board with grades and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, the work going to speak for itself. It'll be up on my website. We're going to talk about it on the show. And it's not going to be for free for nobody else. So if you need some NFL draft content and you want me to provide it, you're going to have to pay for it. Bottom line, absolutely, and that and that goes for the for the basketball stuff as well that we will we will we will collaborate on and uh, bringing you you know sports trap you know media to y'all about this upcoming uh, NBA draft. And that's something that, you know, I'm just saying right here on the air, and B don't even know that that's the next thing that we're going to do and put it out there, that, that that you'll have the top 60, the 60 to 70 players that should or shouldn't, you know, make impacts in the NBA this upcoming year. And this is just, I mean, this is what we're doing, folks. We, we we bringing it to you real. we looking at the film. You know, I'm sitting here while we're doing the show. I'm watching NIT coverage, you know, watching uh, – Miami and Richmond play, and this is—I mean, this is just what we do. We're doing our homework all the time. So when you hear what we're saying, it—you know—sometimes we'll say in our opinion. If it's not our opinion, the fact is, it's just what we've seen. It's just that simple. Now, because you may get a feel for certain things, 
but other than that, it's just what we see, and that's just how we, you know, and that's how we um, bring it to you, you know, and 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 then moving, you know, moving on to the next part, and it, it it's just always so much going on, but we got NCAA basketball, the Sweet Sixteen is finally set. And, you know, after the first weekend, my bracket was trash. You know, I had Nova and I had, you know, SMU. And I'm going to tell you like this. The SMU loss just really hurt me, you know, because because I'm looking at SMU. You know, I had texted you earlier that, you know, what's the name? Iowa State had already lost, you know, and I'm looking at – and I'm looking at what's going on, and you even, you know, you look at it right now. I like, I liked SMU versus uh, Gonzaga, and I'm just like, man, I can't believe that they lost on a goaltend, you know. And, and and you know, people are always going to lend towards the side that benefits them. So I'm going to look at it and say, man, that wasn't no goaltend because I picked SMU. But just looking at it, I just feel like it was too close to call either way. I mean, it was just a bad situation, man. Like, why the guy decided to jump up and touch the basketball or grab it, I have no idea. It looked short to him. I mean, watching the replay, it looked like that it was going to hit the rim. I mean, but the the loser tournament game on a goaltended three-point shot, I mean, that that's just crazy. Like, it's it's crazy, but... Going in, I thought that SMU would win the game, but then I had seen the line on the game, like right before the game started, and SMU was only a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And I said, well, if I'm betting this game, I'm betting for UCLA to win this game. And Vegas, for whatever it's worth, got it right again. I mean, they – and it's it's funny how it happens. UCLA was a team that nobody thought should have gotten in, and now they win two games, they end the Sweet 16. I mean, that's just the NCAA tournament for you. You get in, and if you get hot while you win, it's no telling how far you can go. I mean, yeah, it's really – and it's one of those things where you look at it in sports. The one thing that people, you know, overrate sometimes and they underrate is just the actual chemistry and momentum. You know, and, and, and you know, you add the, the confidence that you're going to win, you got the chemistry and you build some momentum. I mean, you've seen it last year. You know, you've seen it with UConn last year. I mean, they, you know, they just, they they, 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 won, they won a couple close ones and then, you know, they felt like they was the team of destiny and that's what they did. I mean, they just, they went out there and won. Yeah, I mean, it didn't, like, on the first day of the tournament, you had a bunch of double-digit seeds upset. Like, UAB had beat. 14 seed, they beat Iowa State. And Iowa State was one of the teams I thought that could at least get to the um, Elite Eight. And they ended up they ended up losing to um, UAB. And let me see what else. On that day, we had – let me see, let me see, let me see. I mean, we had in Indiana – well, they was a Tennessee. They lost a close game, Wichita State. But you had some upsets in, in the making on the day. I think the first day of the tournament, it was six or seven one-point games, which was 
was pretty good. You had UAB beat Iowa State. You had UCLA, 11 seed beat the 60 SMU. Um, but then on Friday, all the higher seeds except for one, I believe 15 out of the 16 higher seeds on the second day ended up winning. Um, and then, you know, through the weekend, like right now, we had the Sweet 16 heading into Thursday and Friday. And on Thursday, we got we got Kentucky versus West Virginia, one versus five seed. We got Notre Dame versus Wichita State, three versus seven seed, which I believe should be a very good basketball game. And the um, the reason that Villanova was the one seed, we both said before this tournament started that we felt Villanova was the most vulnerable seed. We both thought that the winner of the LSU-NC State game would beat Villanova because both of those teams had big men that could rebound, block shots, and play inside and score in the paint. And Villanova ended up being the first one seed to lose. Your thoughts on Villanova losing again for the second time, for the third time in a row in a round of 32? Yeah, this year, you know, in, in, in this game, that game, you could see the pressure that was on Villanova. I mean, they just. They weren't making shots that they typically make, and they got out-hustled. And a team that's guard-oriented can't get out-hustled. That's just, I mean, it's just that simple. Like, it like it wasn't no coaching. It wasn't no nothing that really played into that. It was more so about how tight Villanova was at the beginning of that game. And the fact that Villanova was tight, it gave NC State confidence that they could play with them. And then they did, and after a while it was just it, it was too much to overcome. And even with that said, they had an opportunity to win that game at the end of the game. You know, they just didn't they, – they, I mean, they didn't make shots. They didn't make shots that like they usually do, and that's what happens in the tournament. I mean, you know, I, you know for me, looking at the game, what I seen was, you know uh, – a player in Archie Diakonu that just it, it just wasn't his type of game. It just wasn't his type of game. And then I think that in that case, Jay may have been better suited playing boot, you know, putting up putting the guy out there with a little bit more athleticism, a guy able to, you know, defend a little bit better than um and, and fight and go in there and get rebounds as well to help his, you know, undersized team out. That was one of the things that I thought they could have did differently, but it was really just about like intensity. Like I felt like Villanova ain't matched the intensity, and I, I and I felt like you know we 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 knew that they was undersized. So once that started to come to fruition, you got to put guys in there that's gonna play with more intensity. You know, you got to get hard out there a little bit earlier, and you got to figure out things because you know yesterday. I mean, that game wasn't really a game that Ennis played well in. How about? Chefu missed six layups right at the basket. Um, Pinkston, you know, he played tough, but I'm hearing another guy, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, playing inside. Jay Wright has proven during his tenure that he can recruit wing players. He can recruit point guards. He can recruit guys that can score and shoot. I mean, at what point does he say, you know what, I need to get big men. I need to get six eight, six nine, six ten, six eleven guys. I need to go after those guys. Guys that can defend, guys that can rebound offensively, defensively, 
guys that had the potential to be post scorers, to add, to go along with my guard play, to make my team complain. At what point did we decide that's what I wanted, that, that we need to do that? Well, that's what they all got. I mean, that's what they all got to do. I mean, like, especially the teams in Philly. I mean, you're looking at the post players, they all own other teams. All the post players from Philly, I mean, you know, Christmas is in, um, what's the name? Uh, they got another big kid down at, S- at SMU, Kennedy, from Philadelphia. You know, they, they, they here, you got to take them. Like, this, like, looking at these teams, especially, like, like the situation with um, – Van Bleet in um in, in, in Wichita. I'm watching a game and I hear them say that Bill Self asked why are we not recruiting this kid and they seen him as a senior. And they had said that well a week before that he had signed to go to Wichita State. Well that's unexcusable. Like you can't like to me in college sports, you can't lose the best players from your hometown, your home city or your home state if you the big if you the best school in the um, if you were the best school in that area, you know, and Villanova plays in the Big East. They should listen. The very best players from the city should go to Villanova or Temple, or you know, or even Saint, you know, or even Saint Joe. I mean, LaSalle, you know, because you look at the order of like the level of the, you know, the level of the play. Not saying that those schools can't play with each other because it's totally different when you play in each other. I'm just saying the Big East is typically better than the A-10 and then, you know, the other conferences. I'm just saying that the coaches got to do a better job of keeping the best talent in the city. And that talent comes in all sizes from point guard to center. Yeah, I mean, it's it's guys here that can play. Like you said, Marcus Kennedy, Christmas, how you let these guys outside of the city? I mean, you've got a chance to watch these guys if you're paying attention. These guys have been on the circuit here in Philadelphia since 7th, 8th grade, ninth grade. You know these guys can play. They're right here, the Mars Twins. How the hell they end up um, in Kansas? Tyreek yeah, Evans. Their choices Tyreke were Evans. Memphis and Kansas. Yeah, Tyreek Evans. How the hell he end up in Memphis when he right in your backyard, Villanova, right up the street from where he played high school ball at? I mean, I I don't get it. I know this. If I was involved with scouting and recruiting for one of these schools here, my goal would, like you said, would to be make sure from the time they in ninth, tenth grade, let them know that we on your top. We want you to stay here in Philadelphia. Come play that, here that's in just Philadelphia. The bottom, that's just the bottom line. Because guess what? Then that way you don't really got to do that much work in the city. If it's listen, back in the day. It was already assumed that the very best players was going to go to Temple. The very best player in the city was going to go to Temple. So then you can recruit other guys and spend a little bit more time putting talent around those guys. You know, and 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 I think that's been lost a little bit. And of course, with with everything that's going on with with, with social media and things, you're not as far from another another school as you used to be because everybody still can see you on a regular basis with social media and all of that. I just but I I, I just believe that if you want to and you see it all the time. I mean, guys get hired because of the AAU programs that they affiliated with. I mean, you you just got to get the very best players from the city. Like it's no it is 
it's no coincidence that Villanova's best run came when they had one of the best players from Philly on their team in Kyle Lowry. You know, you go back to before that when they had um, when they had Alvin Williams. They had three you know, players from Those things matter. People may say, well, you know, it's, uh, listen, those things matter. They matter. You look at Temple. You look at LaSalle, the run they made. They got Philly kids on the team. That camaraderie, that chemistry, that fight for your city, it means something. It mean, and, and this is what I'm, and this is what I'm saying about Philadelphia that people don't understand that don't come from this city, man. Like the the guys that make it here got huge hearts. The guys that make it that make it here they got huge hearts and they care a lot. All of them. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Villanova team that Kerry Kittles had played on. Three starters on that team, three guys that played on that team, Jason Lawson, Jonathan Haynes, Alvin Williams, all three Philly guys. Yeah, you look at Penn. I meant you look at Penn when they were good, Mike Mike Jordan. And, and Lamar Plummer. Like, they, you know, Philly kids through and through, you know what I'm saying? Mike Jordan being the epitome of what of what you're going to get in a Philadelphia player, in my, you know, in my opinion. A guy that's yeah. very, very tough. A guy that's going always going to get always going to get better, and a guy that's just going to figure out how to win games and how to give you a chance to com- compete against other top teams in the country, even if it seems like you're overmatched. Yeah, I totally agree. So um, the Sweet Sixteen in, in this side of bracket, we got NC State versus Louisville, um, and Louisville was a team that you had talked about with their experience winning the championship a couple of years ago. And obviously Rick Pitino, one of the greatest basketball coaches to ever do it, them being able in this type of situation, if they got hot, we knew all year that they were a great defensive team. They haven't shot the ball very well from the outside, but, you know, they beat um, – they won a close game versus Kyle Irvine in, a, in, round, in the round of 64. Then they come out – in a, a, a situation versus you and I, and I thought you and I would lose in the second round to Louisville. I thought that wasn't a matchup that was going to be good for them because of Louisville's style of play, their athleticism and defense. Now you got a NC State versus Louisville matchup in the Sweet 16. And that's what we, I mean, that, that's what we talked about. These, I mean, you look at the Louisville team, I mean, they've competed at a, a high level throughout the course of the year, you know, their games meant something. And, you know, with a coach like Rick Pitino, I mean, you, you, there's a couple of things that ring, you know, that ring true with the the NCAA tournament and being successful. You know, is it, if your guards are playing smart, if you're protecting, if you're protecting the rim, and if you got a good coach, and you know, they've had solid play from the guard position. They've been able to defend, and they got Rick Pitino, and so those are the things that you—I mean, those are the things that you look at. And I think you could say those things about all the teams that are winning. So, who you like in that game, NC State versus Louisville? Who you give advance to? Who you think wins that game? I—I I, like—I I like Louisville in that game, and the reason why I like Louisville in that game is because see. Last game, NC State had nothing to lose. You know, Villanova was the top team. They came out with intensity. I'm going to promise you this. Intensity won't be an issue for 
a team coached by Rick Bettino. That won't be an issue. And I think that was the biggest difference in where NC State was. And, like, people now may say, well, oh, no, NC State. Listen, NC State was up and down all year. You would see them play well some games, and then you would, like, they were here games where they would lose by 20. And you're like, what the heck is going on with these guys? And they've been inconsistent. So it's pretty much about how invested they are in that game, if they're going to be good or not. But I like, but I I like Louisville because I I just, you know, I trust Rick Pitino to have those guys ready to play. Okay, let's go over Kentucky with um, West Virginia. Um, I like Kentucky to win the game. One thing I will say, West Virginia is a well-coached team. They're an athletic team. They're a physical team. They're not going to make many mistakes. Um, you know, they're going to defend well. I mean, in Kentucky. I mean, they just a deep team. I mean, they defend. I mean, they've given up 56 points in the first game, 51 in the second game. I mean, this is what they've done on a year yearly basis. And we talked about it before the tournament started. I'm just, every time I watch them play, I'm just impressed with the defense. And I think the defense, and they're not a selfish team. I mean, they just, they're playing basketball the right way. They're a deep team. Um, Cincinnati tried to play bully ball with them. That didn't work. They bullied back. And, I mean, this matchup versus West Virginia, I think it's going to be a good game. It's just going to all depend on how long West Virginia can keep up with them because they just they come out with five players. They send in another four. I mean, they're long. They rebound. They defend. They share the basketball. I mean, you got three lottery picks most likely. I mean, Devin Booker decided to come out. Willie Cauley-Stein can go to the late lottery. And, and Towns is the number one prospect, in my opinion. I mean, they just a great team. I mean, it's going to be hard. They got to play the – we said it. They got to play their worst, worst game. And West Virginia is going to play their absolutely most perfect game in order for them to win. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, and I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to for those two teams. I think that West Virginia, you know, they'll have that underdog role on there. You know, I heard a, you know, a, a stat that Bob, um, that Huggins was um, two, eight and two against Kyler Perry, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, listen, he, Kyler Perry ain't never had this much talent on one team. Now, it was a a debate about which Kentucky team was better with the team with John Wall and them. John Wall and them team had better individual talent. Yeah. Period. They had better individual talent because, you know, DeMarcus Cousins could be a Hall of Famer, you know, and John Wall is already a perennial all-star in the NBA. And I don't know I don't know if they got two guys that could be like that. You know, Towns could be, but I don't see their, that, that second guy – being that kind of player, you know, he, he, so not that way, but collectively the way that they fight for each other and that the way that they play together is just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And I think one of the things that's underrated about this team is how the upperclassmen have embraced the freshmen coming on the team mm-hmm. and, and, and being able to play together. And that's what – I mean, it, it, they are a really special team in the true sense of the word. 
Yeah, I mean, they it's no egos involved. They dropped the egos at the door, and they all got the same goal. They all know that at some point that they're going to go to the NBA, but their goal right now is to come to college, get better, and to do whatever it takes to win a championship. And I think that's just the ultimate sacrifice, and that's what makes that team special because there's no egos, and they're willing to share the ball. They're willing to defend. They're willing to run. They're willing to not play, have to play 32, 33 minutes, or we'll play 20 minutes and let the other guy come play another 20 minutes and we'll get it done. And Kyle Perry has gotten better as a coach, and, I mean, they're just going to be a tough out. Next yeah, I mean, they're the only team – they're the only team – playing in the tournament that if they don't win the championship has been a disappointment. Yeah. Next game up, Notre Dame three seed versus Wichita State. Who you like in that one? Man, I, this is the this is the one game that I am going to do my absolute best to make sure that I don't miss one minute of it because both of these the both of those teams play really really hard. I really enjoyed watching Notre Dame play against Butler. You know, the it, it's one of those games where it looked like a little bit of how college basketball used to be. I mean, it was physical. You know, you 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 seen some individual talent as as well as them playing collectively on both ends of the floor. So, you know, I I, I love Indian. I, I love Notre Dame's backcourt. You know, but then you got on the other side, you got Wichita State, and that team, man, it's just like they just grimy, man. There's just a grimy group of guys, and 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 what they and and don't get me wrong, they beat a, they beat Kansas, but Kansas they they don't have the kind of guard play that you need to win in the tournament. Yeah. So they don't they just don't have that guard play. You know, typically at Kansas, you got a point guard that's an NBA point guard or or a two guard that's an NBA two guard, and they don't have neither of them right now, in my opinion, and. And, and so I look at so I look, I look at Notre Dame being able they got guards that can play at the next level in Grant and Jackson. Mm-hmm. I think both of those yeah. guys can play at the next level. So I, I like Notre Dame in that game. Yeah, I like Notre Dame as well. Wichita State will muck it up. They're going to defend. Um, Cotton, in my opinion, is the X factor for them. You know, because he's that third guy outside of Van Vliet and Baker. If Cotton can get it going, and he's athletic, and he finishes at the run, he defends well. I wouldn't be surprised to see if they put Cotton on Grant or on Jackson at some point um, if Van Vliet and Baker have issues with those two guys. But Cotton is going to be the decider factor for Wichita State. But I like Notre Dame. Notre Dame, you know what you're going to get from Grant and Jackson, um, Connaughton, if he's open, he's going to make shots. But Notre Dame, August, has to dominate the paint inside. He's 6'10", 6'11". He's the only legit big man. When he gets into foul trouble and he doesn't play well, that's when Notre Dame gets into trouble. So if Notre Dame is going to win this game, and I believe they will win it, it's going to be because of their big man, August. Number three, Oklahoma versus Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State is playing well at the right time. Uh, I mean, they're rolling. They beat Georgia in the run of 64, came back, knocked off UVA. UVA was the team that I picked to go to the Final Four. Michigan State beat them 60-54 to the other night. Now we got Oklahoma versus Michigan State. 
two teams coached by very good coaches, um, Buddy Hill versus, you know, Trice and the boys at Michigan State. Who you like? Well, I, I like Michigan State. I mean, you know you know how much I, I, I admire Tom Izzo in, in the way that he teaches those guys to play. Um you know, I think he did a good I think he did a good job last game of putting making sure that he had a team on the floor that could space the floor and give guys an opportunity to be successful and, and you know, Trice took it full advantage of that at the beginning of that game and he was able, you know, to get off to a good start and it and it was like Virginia never truly Recovered, and that was another one of those games where, like, Virginia just did not match the intensity of Michigan State, and it was clear that Michigan State had a had a better understanding of how important that situation was to to them. So, you know, I look at it that way. In Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, you know, they are like the team that's been under the radar, in my opinion. I feel like a lot of people haven't really paid attention to Oklahoma and it could it could be a good game but I just think I just think Michigan State you know with with Tom Izzo I can't go against that. Okay. All right, let's head down to the bottom of the bracket. Wisconsin number one at UNC. UNC beat a good Arkansas team in around a thirty two um to make this point after they squeaked by a Harvard team, you know, a discipline team that played them tough. UNC got past Arkansas. They're playing Wisconsin. Kenny Meeks, one of their better big men, has sprained his knee. It's not not sure how much he'll be able to play, if he'll be able to play. You know, they're not having him going up against a Wisconsin team with a big front line and King, Decker, and um, Frank Kaminsky. That's definitely a blow. I think Wisconsin is definitely a better team. They've proven that during the year, and I expect them to beat UNC. Yeah, me too. I, you know, Meeks being out really hurts them. But you know, to be honest with you, even if Meeks was playing, I would have picked. I would have picked Wisconsin to win this game. I just think that over. I, I just think that overall, Wisconsin is a better team. I think that. You know, the, you know, they play together. They play smart and defensively. I think they could come up with a game plan to defend. North Carolina, because it's one of those things where you pretty much just pack it in against North Carolina, and they got the size to um, compete with North Carolina on the boards, even with Meeks being there. So I, I think that the advantage that North Carolina had over other teams, they just don't have over Wisconsin, and they don't shoot the ball good enough for the for Wisconsin to have to extend their defense. Definitely agree. All right, Duke, one seed versus Utah, the five seed. You know, I, I like Duke, man. And, and, and what you want to see in a tournament is you want to see the very best players playing their very best. And Okafor right now, and I've and I, and, and I seen this at the end of the regular season, teams started to allow Okafor to play one-on-one and stop the outside guys from being a part of it, and that's why Duke was, was, was starting to struggle. But Okafor is starting to get uh, – Okafor is getting even better – in his ability to score one on one, and I don't think that would be a good idea for anybody else to do to allow him to play one on one because he's going to destroy you. And I, I just think right now they they're getting the most out of their center, 
and when you can play inside out, it's just hard to it's hard to beat a team like that. So I like I like Duke in that matchup. Yeah, man. I had this I had this matchup predicted in my bracket, and I picked Utah to upset Duke in this matchup. Duke, when they struggle, they had issues stopping dribble penetration, and Delon Wright and Jackson from Utah can get them problems as far as not being able to stop those guys to get in the lane. I don't know if Kristoviak is going to be willing to allow his big guys. And he got two or three guys that are 6'10", 6'11". Um, I don't know if he's going to allow them to play Okafor straight up. I mean, he's the guy with NBA experience. Um, he's taking that team. His first year coaching Utah, they won six games. And now, three years later, they're in the Sweet 16. Um, and he's done a good job getting players and the guys that can play good size. Um, they run a structured offense, structured defense. I pick Utah to upset them. I'm going to stick with that. I expect it to be a very good game. If Utah is to win this game, it's going to be because of the guard play of DeLon, DeLon Wright and Jackson. So I'm going to take them with the upset. Xavier, 6C versus Arizona, 2C. Who do you like? Uh, I, I like Arizona. In, in this game, um, you know, you had talked about the shooting being so important to where Arizona would be, and it had and it has been, and I think because of that, it's opened up the floor a little bit and allowed and allow everybody to to play well. And the thing about Arizona right now is is that Stanley Johnson really hasn't played well yet. You know, uh, I think. Uh, a consensus top five pick. He really hasn't played well yet in this tournament. I think this is the point that he gets really comfortable and they they, they move on. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game. I mean, Miller, before he got the Arizona job as a coach at Xavier, Miller recruited a lot of these guys, the, the older guys at Xavier now. Um, both teams had no nonsense coaches. They play tough man-to-man defense. Stainbrook, um, the center for Xavier, him versus um, Tar- Tarzuski, that's going to be a matchup I'm looking forward to. But my whole point is Arizona is very talented, and I say it, and I've said it all year. If Gabe York is making outside shots and Pitts is making outside shots, if Brandon Ashley is hitting that mid-range three-point jump shot, it makes them hard to beat. And they if they're going to make jump shots outside shots, they will beat Xavier. But I expect it to be a game in the 60s, hard-fought defensive game. But I do expect um, Arizona to advance. Last game, UCLA 11 seed made it to the Sweet 16, facing the number two seed, Gonzaga. Who are you liking this one? Um, Listen, this is the year that Gonzaga. This is the year that they start to move forward, you know. And and that's the they've been knocking on that door. I think this is the year that they they advance. Yeah, I think this is the best team that they've had on the Montuse tenure. You got mm-hmm. you got senior guard play in Bell and Pangos. You got a senior transfer from USC in Wesley. You know who averaged 17 points a game last year. The USC transfer in. You got Sabonis, son. Um, you got the up uh, Karnowski. I mean, they got size. They got shooting. 
they don't turn it over, they defend. I really think this is the year that they make the trip to the Final Four. UCLA is hot. They got some momentum. They're playing well. They're shooting the ball well from the outside. They're playing with house money. I mean, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. I expect them to come out and play tough and well. I mean, they got Norman. They got Mooney. They got some talent. Um, Alford, Sun can shoot from the outside a bit. But I think Gonzaga is just a better team. I expect Gonzaga to win this game and, you know, face Utah in the Elite Eight. All right, to end the show, um, an article that came out on ESPN, and they asked players, coaches, executives to rank the NBA point guards from 1 to 30. And Westbrook and Steph Curry was, you know, one or two in that list. And I looked through the list of 30, 30 point guards, and – Guess who wasn't on that on that list of thirty? Just take a guess who didn't make the thirty. Michael Carter Williams. Exactly. He not only has he not made the list, but in six in sixteen games with the Bucks, the Bucks are three and thirteen. Listen, I people yelled at me when I said that they need to trade him right after he won Rookie of the Year. I tried to like, and it's not about and and it's not about being right about this situation. It's just one of those things where basketball is a game where there's only five people on the court at a time. So if you've got one of the best players at a certain position on your team, you're going to have a better opportunity to win. And that's what I, and that was my that was my point about, you know, Kyrie Irving. Like listen, if you're as good as people say you are, it should translate to wins in basketball because mm-hmm. there's only five of y'all on the court at a time. That's why That's why it's more emphasis on the best players winning championships than in other sports because yeah. you, you can make a bigger impact. It's only five of y'all on the court. You know, in any, other, in any of the other sports, there's way more people on the court at one time. On, on the basketball court, it's only ten. The fewest amount of people of any team sport. So when you look at it that way, you got to say, all right, well, let me let me see these things. And with Michael Carter Williams, I mean, it's no knock on him, but he is what he is. If, if I'm not mistaken, he about to be 24. And if you ain't if you ain't shown the glimpses of being great, I mean, Derrick Rose won the MVP at 23, but. The year before that, you knew that Derrick Rose was going to be a guy that was going to be able to dominate in the NBA if he stayed healthy, because you could just see it. And with Michael Carter Williams, he don't he don't have the body, he don't have the explosion, and he don't got the skill set. And and I mean it's just that simple. He can't really he can't dribble around people, and he can't shoot. And it, I mean and and, and, that, and that's just that's just from me watching him time and time again. And also watching them at Syracuse. Yeah, like I, they got the top tier point guards, and on the top tier list is Westbrook one, Kyrie two, Paul three, Kyrie four, Lillard five, Wall six, Mike Conley seven, Kyle Lowry eight, Parker nine, and Teague at ten. I look at all ten of those guys, and it's immediately things that they do well, like at a high level. 
I mean, Westbrook can do everything. He's an athletic freak. He's a great defensive player. He can get to the hole when he wants, but since he came to the NBA, we've seen Westbrook get work on his handle, and we've seen Westbrook become a deadly mid-range shooter and a, a, a very good three-point shooter. Steph Curry. Steph Curry wasn't a, this great of a ball handler when he got to the NBA, when he left college. Steph Curry turned himself from being a catch-and-shoot guy, spot-up shooter, to being a great ball handler, a great passer, and a guy that can finish in the paint with left with his right and left hand. Chris Paul. Chris Paul's the prototypical lead guard. He can pass. He can score when he needs to. He can defend. He's just a tough son of a bitch. Like, he's a, the leader of leaders. You know what I mean? He's going to go down with a fight. Kyrie Irving, we know, can get anywhere he wants on the court, get any shot off, regardless of who's guarding him. Guy can be 6'8", long defender. Whomever it be, Kyrie Irving can get any shot off he wants. He can go for 50 on a given night. The question is, and the coach, the coach said, can he knock down big shots and big games? He hasn't played in a playoff game yet. Is he going to do this in the playoffs? When teams are loading up on LeBron, is Kyrie Irving going to get it done in the playoffs? That's yet to be seen. Damian Lillard, another NBA point guard, said he's good as anybody else on the list as far as scoring. He can score in different ways. can shoot it from deep. you got to respect that he can beat you. He can get to the rim, finish at the rim. And the guy, the other point guard said his biggest issue right now is on the defensive end. But that's another guy who has elite talent. He has a skill set. Wall, we know what Wall is. Wall might be the fastest guard in the league in the end. Can defend his position. Can get in the lane when he wants. Has worked on his jump shot. You look at Michael Carter-Williams, we haven't seen Michael Carter-Williams get better at anything. And people killed Sam Hickey for trading Michael Carter-Williams. But the proof is in the pudding. The Bucks were a playoff team before he got there with Brandon Knight. And by the way, Brandon Knight on this list is ranked 24 out of 30 on this list. They, lose, they trade Brandon Knight. They bring in Michael Carter-Williams. They give him number five. He light-skinned. They think he's going to be Jason Kidd. And they win three of 16 games with Michael Carter-Williams in the in the Eastern Conference. I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. And, and that's just how, like, I've seen it from the very beginning. You know, we, we, we talked about this and, you know, we talked about what Sam Hankey is doing and this and, – and, you don't need analytics, though. You don't need analytics to look at Michael Carter-Williams and say that he's not a good player. You just need to watch the games. You don't need them at all. Like, you don't got to look at the percentages. You can watch the games and say, well, he can't do these things that these other guys can do. Point blank period. And the exact reason why Emmanuel Moutier or D'Angelo Russell would be perfect for the Sixers right now. In the air, and there's two minutes left in the show, in the air – Right now, in today's NBA, the point guard position is loaded. You need a lead guard that can score, that can pass, that can defend, that can make a difference. The Sixers got Joel Embiid. When Embiid is healthy and fine, they're going to have a, a, a lot of teams don't have a seven-footer 
that can dominate the paint on both sides of the ball. At some point, Dario Saric is going to come in, and I'm telling you, Dario Saric is going to have a very good impact on, on the NBA, a deadlift strength, Tony Kukoc type of impact. You know what I mean? 6'10 guy that can handle it, pass, shoot, can finish at the rim. I can't wait to start gets here. I know people were upset with the pick that he wasn't going to be here for a year or two, but it's all going to pay off at some point. When the Sixers get those players out there and we see them out there and they start to develop, then you're going to see the light at the tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. We have the the plan is in place. We just got to wait for it to come to fruition. How about last year? We talked about them drafting Jordan McCray in the second round, and McCray last year averaged 20 points in Australia. Last night he had 39 in the D-League. All we, we, we said all he needed to do was fill his body out because he was like 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. The guy know how to score. He know how to score the ball, period. Know how to score and he can defend. He's 6'6 with a 6'11 wingspan. And we've seen in the summer league some of what he had. But, people, that's what we do. That's why we watch the summer league. That's why we watch college basketball. That's why we watch the NIT, the tournament, the games, the tape so we can give you good information based upon something that we watch, not what Chris Ford said, not what Jeff Goodman said, but what Ant Green and Brandon Pemberton say. And that's Sports Track Radio for tonight. Thank you all for your support. We'll catch you later on this week with Sports Track TV. Have a good night. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.